Good morning and welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. We are a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. It's great to have you here with me for a Tuesday, November 15th, 2022. This is edition number 31 of season 6 as we continue to study the second book of the Bible, uh, the book of Exodus, together. Today we come to Exodus chapter 31, a very brief chapter, but one that teaches us many things as we consider it this morning. Let's pray first, and then we'll look at this very short chapter. Our Father in heaven, as we come to this chapter now, we come um, trusting that you will teach us and guide us as you have promised by your Spirit. We pray that you will indeed help us, that we would understand uh, these truths given to us in your word. We pray that you would use them to strengthen our walk with you and our trust in you. We do pray that you'd forgive us for our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness and now help us, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, in the last edition, we considered some more of the various elements and furniture that comprised the tabernacle, the very dwelling place of God. We considered the altar of incense, the bronze basin, the oil, the anointing oil and incense that is to be wholly used uh, for a specific purpose. Today we come uh, to really two issues here in this chapter, chapter 31. We come to these two individuals, Holiab and Beziel. Now these two men are called of the Lord to serve the Lord and the people in the construction of the tabernacle. And it's interesting that God not only gives to Moses the instructions regarding the tabernacle and all of its intricacies and all of its details to build it, he also provides the means by which it is accomplished. Now we note that in the verse, 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 the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Beziel, and the son, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. And of course, he calls uh, these two people uh, to do this work. Um, uh, to labor in such a way that they might accomplish all of the instructions that were given. God uses the means. He provides the means. Now, in much the same way in the Christian life, we also see God do that for us. He has called us to live holy lives as re- His redeemed people. He has given us His Word. He has given us His Spirit. He has instructed us through His Word as we read it in our own language, and of which we should be very grateful and thankful. But not only that, he has given us the preaching of his word each Lord's Day by which we hear from him insofar as a minister set apart by the Lord, called by the Lord, preaches faithfully the word of God. And so there we hear the very living voice of Christ speaking to the sheep of God's pasture. He has given us the sacraments and again means by which we can be strengthened in our Christian life that we might accomplish the things that God has called us to do. One of the things I teach my congregation often is to pray, Father, give us what you command. What is it that God commands? Well, just put simply, God commands us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's commanded us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, which one of us has loved God perfectly? Which one of us loves our neighbor as we love ourselves? Of course, the answer is nobody save Jesus Christ. But that is the command nonetheless, and so we ask for God to give to us what he commands us, that we might faithfully obey him in all things. He's provided the means. He's provided the tools. 
just like he provides these two people skilled with intelligence and knowledge and understanding to do exactly what God has commanded. The problem with us usually is that we fail to use the tools. We fail to use the means that God himself has called and provided that we might live faithful lives as Christians. And so then when we struggle, when we grow weary, when things happen to us and, and a pastor such as uh, a pastor comes along and asks you, well, are you utilizing the means that God has given to strengthen you and uphold you and help you? And you say, no, I'm not reading my Bible. No, I'm not praying. No, I'm not coming to church. No, I'm not uh, faithfully attending the sacraments. Well, then one has to only wonder um, that it's a no wonder you're in the situation you're in. And so we must use the means, even as these two characters, as God calls them apart to do this work, they must do the work. God doesn't do it for them, but he does equip them to do the work that is needful. And so they do that according to all that God has commanded. The other thing we see in this chapter is a subject that, of course, if you've been listening to the morning devotionals for any period of time, you know it's a subject that's near and dear to my heart because it's a subject I'm still convinced um, the Christian church, especially in the West, especially in the country in which I live, the United States, has dispensed with, has ignored, disregards, uh, gets around in, in cute, exegetical, not exegetical ways. And that is, of course, the issue of the Sabbath, or the Christian Sabbath, or the Lord's Day. Here, once again, God reminds his people to keep this day holy. The Lord said to Moses, verse 12, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Now, if you don't think God takes this matter seriously, you need to go back and reread those words. If the Sabbath is profaned by the people of God, the demand of a holy God is that they die. This is what it says. It, it, it emphasizes the serious nature of this command. Whoever does any work on it, that shall shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. So this is another sign of the covenant that God gives to the people. He takes it very, very seriously. He basically repeats the matters of the fourth commandment that we've seen already in Exodus chapter 20. And he says it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. That is to say it's a sign forever between him and the people that he calls out of the world and calls into his marvelous light. That is to say that as redeemed people, we are to keep the Sabbath day, even as they have been called to keep the Sabbath day. Now, we know that the Sabbath has been changed from the last day of the week to the first day of the week. We know that it is done because of the resurrection of Christ and the hope that that brings to us. But nonetheless, we are to honor it. I know too many Christians who seek to get around this matter in some form of exegesis, some form of biblical interpretation, which still confounds the mind, frankly. It's pretty simple. It is part of the moral law that is binding upon the heart of every person. And we don't dispense with the seventh commandment merely because Christ has fulfilled the law. We don't dispense with the sixth commandment merely because Christ has fulfilled the law. Why is it we think that the fourth commandment is merely, is merely a suggestion now or, or some ceremonial rendering 
and it doesn't have any bearing upon us morally. Jesus kept the Sabbath day. The writer to the Hebrews says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The fact remains is that the Lord's day is that which the apostles adhered to by example in the worship of God. And so this day is to be set apart. It's holy before the Lord. It goes all the way back. It harkens all the way back to creation. It's a day in which God rested by example. He rested, as it were, as an example to us, that we might rest in Him, that we might rest in Christ, that we might worship Him the whole day in acts of public and private worship. We are to use the day for opportunities of mercy and necessity. We are to use it for means of hospitality. We are to use it as means to fellowship with the saints of of the Lord, we are to use it for the public worship of God. All of these things are true about the Sabbath day. The problem is we go into it and we see it as, a dr- as drudgery. We don't see it as the joy that it is, the delight that, that it ought to be. And so we don't regard it the way we ought to because we're fallen creatures. And if that's the case, then we need to repent of those attitudes and ask for the Lord to work in us a greater love for this day that he made for us that we might enjoy him as a picture of that which we, we will enjoy for all of eternity. I sometimes joke from the pulpit here at Providence that if you don't like the Lord's Day, you're really going to hate heaven. Now, obviously, it's tongue-in-cheek. I get that. But the fact is, is that the Lord's Day is a picture for us. It's a constant weekly reminder of that hope that God has given to, the, to his church that where he is, there we, we will be also. That there is coming a new heavens and the new earth where the church militant, the church at war against the world, the flesh, and the devil will be at rest for all of eternity. There we will worship and enjoy God forever and ever and ever. And so we must, as a church, get back to this. I'm convinced that one of the reasons we see the church so weak in this country It's because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ disregards, tramples underfoot the very Lord's Day itself. And in fact, in the Old Testament, the two major sins by which God's people were judged by Him was idolatry and violating the Sabbath. It's time for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to wake up to the reality that this command is not to be trifled with. It is serious And it represents so much blessing if we would only see it in the way in which God offers it. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to contact me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Wednesday edition, when we consider a very dark chapter in the book of Exodus, may the Lord bless you today. May you serve him. May you walk in his ways. God bless.